Where it is 401, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Brad Thompson, Chris Ranji, Randy Carricker, Super Bowl 52 on Sunday at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And of course, a lot of money will be wagered on this contest at the moment. New England is a four point favorite, the over under at 48.5. And we welcome Dave Tooley of VSIN into the Lufus Kia Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Dave, great to have you with us here in St. Louis. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good. Dave, uh, I am uh, born and raised in Las Vegas, and this is one of those weekends where I miss being in the books. I mean, there's been a narrative here uh, over the years, hey, football is dying. You tell me. You're in the books every day. Is football dying? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Absolutely not. And uh, I think we see that uh, with the new Thursday night Fox deal (laughs) that they they put together. And, yeah, all the people coming into town here for uh, Super Bowl, uh, weekend uh, should be a record-setting weekend, and yeah, the the place is just uh, filling up fast. Dave, you talk about uh, record-setting weekend. What kind of, what kind of money are we talking about? Just in Nevada, what what are we estimating is going to be wagered just on the Super Bowl? Well, last year it set a record of 138 million, uh, which would which was up from like 119 million the previous record. So it was a huge huge bump. So I don't know if we can do quite. That big of a bump, but I was certainly expecting more than 140 million again, and maybe even pushing 150. Just, I mean, the way you know this, this matchup has caught a lot of people's attention. I mean, the Eagles have been getting a lot of support, um, more so than I I thought to make this line drop. So it should be uh, in the end good two way action because I'm sure the Patriots money is on the way. I'm not that strong a gambler, so what is is there any sort of benefit to? Placing a bet now on the game as opposed to like waiting right before kickoff. Well, I, I mean, yeah, any any serious batter definitely needs to watch the market and see which way the lines are moving and time their bets for the right time. Um, I mean, in general, usually it's best to bet the favorites early and the underdogs late because because usually the lines will go up as the public bets teams more and more, you know, based on you know just public perception and media coverage and all that. And uh, usually the underdog price is better later. However, you know, in this in this case, that that's what makes this such an intriguing uh, case study. Really, is that you know a lot of people jumped on the Eagles early, and that that's where all the big bets have come from, and a lot of the little bets as well. But uh, a lot of that is due to you know the fact that the you know, Patriots struggled, barely got by uh, Jacksonville, and uh, Philadelphia looks so impressive in disposing of the Vikings. Dave Tooley of VEASAN, Vegas Sports Information Network, with us in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. Dave, when we get to this point, and I would imagine that there are a lot of casual sports bettors that that bet on the Super Bowl, uh, percentage-wise, does most of the money come in on standard bets or are people trying to bet the the props or side bets? What are, what are they doing? Um, the more, most people come in town. I mean, I mean, people still bet the, you know, the – the spread and the over/under, mm-hmm. but as the as, as the props have increased in popularity, uh, it's actually you know it used to be like a 60-40 split would be bet on the game and then 40 percent on the props, and then some of the bigger shops like a Jay Cornegay who is at the Imperial Palace and is now at the Westgate, which used to be the Hilton, uh, they're the first to say that you know they definitely had 50 percent of their money on the props, but now now most books are doing that because. I mean, even though most places don't put as many props as the Westgate, I mean, they usually still have, you know, 10, 12 pages of props out there, you know, from everything from, you know, who scores first to over under Brady Yard uh, and any possibilities they can think of. 
Uh, one uh, that, that I found myself getting bid on before uh, on the prompts, and a lot of these are kind of offshore different ones, uh, different things that will be mentioned in broadcast. A lot of things to uh, worry about with props is, is one of the things is it's from kickoff till the end of the game. A lot of people want to get paid on something that happened beforehand. That can't happen, can it? <laughs> right. And, and, and yeah, and you know, definitely you're, you're talking offshore things there. Um, Vegas books that are restricted to um, having bets that are, that show up in the, in the box score. So the Vegas books don't book the Anthem. They don't, they don't book the color of the Gatorade hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and, and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, obviously you got to read the, the fine print of your, uh, of your props, whether it's, uh, you know, pink's cleavage or, uh, the time of national anthem. Um, yeah, the, the Vegas books. Uh, I think the gaming regulators here kind of helped them a little bit because I mean some of those can be very controversial, you know, especially like the anthem in the year that Christina Aguilera dropped a line or two uh, and, and went under. It uh, caused a lot of offshore books to pay both sides. Uh, Dave, uh, uh, one thing uh, Vegas does do though is Super Bowl MVP, and there are some guys. Tom Brady, is, there's no value there, right? Uh, but if you think that he's going to have a day, go for it. Do you have any uh, a player or two that you look at and say that there's value? Like last year, James White, like probably should have won, and he had good value there. Do you are you looking at anybody this year? Yeah, although you know, yeah, I mean, obviously uh, James White last year is the case study of. And, and I, I even uh, I even mentioned this uh, recently that I I, I wish there I hope there'd be a thirty thirty come out someday on uh, on that Super Bowl um, and MVP vote last year because I mean usually you know they they put it off the ballots in the fourth quarter and people turn them in early and so you know the Patriots were in the midst of a comeback but they hadn't completed it so I wonder how many of those votes were actually you know put in well before that last touchdown but uh, um, yeah Brady's the the, the favorite and. I understand you say there's no value, but actually, I mean, he is a cheaper price than if you bet the Patriots to, Patriots to win the game. True. So if you if you assume the Patriots are going to win, uh, it, it actually would be a good bet if you assume he's going to be the MVP. But the the one I took a shot on is the Legarrette Blunt at sixty to one, uh, hoping that the Eagles try and establish the run and that he's uh, you know motivated against his former team. The last seven Super Bowls the Patriots have been in have been decided by less than four points per game, uh, or less than four points. How much do you, if you're if you're going to bet on that spread, how much should you let past Super Bowls and, and past Patriots teams affect this decision? Um, I, I think you definitely have to look at it, and the fact that I'm on the Eagles, I mean that that does give me you know confidence that you know the Patriots generally play tight Super Bowls. Uh, yeah, yeah. Last last year they actually won by six, but that was only because of the overtime rules where they had to punch in the touchdown on on the opening drive <laughs> to win by six. Otherwise, they probably have settled for a field goal and, and had another three point win. So, I mean, I I think uh, that is very you know something very you know good to look at. There's also a prop if, if the game is decided by exactly three points, which pays over uh, odds of uh, three and a half to one, which uh, it seems very likely. Hey, Dave, uh, off of the, the Super Bowl, I just had a sports betting question in general. There's been more and more traction here recently about legalizing sports gambling nationwide. Uh, what kind of an impact would that have on Vegas if, in fact, that did happen? Um, yeah, mo- most people think that Vegas would hate that. But, I mean, the truth is that, you know, quote-unquote Vegas, the, the, the casino companies, you know, the big uh, conglomerates, uh, they already have casino interests in other states. <laughs> you know whether it's uh, you know New Jersey or Delaware, 
uh, all all over all over the country. So, I mean, most of the you know states that they get involved in sports betting are probably going to turn to the Nevada companies anyway to to run their operations. So, I mean, you know, the the economy here don't, I don't think will be affected that much. I mean, it will affect some tourism, but I mean, when Atlantic City opened in 1979, you know, people said that Las Vegas was doomed and no one would fly from the East Coast to Vegas. Uh, if they could just gamble um, nearby. But all it did was really create a feeder market <laughs> of people that wanted to come to the gambling mecca. So I, I, I think, you know, gambling breeds gambling and, uh, you know, bring it on. I was thinking it might, it might almost help too, Dave, because first of all, just take the stigma away from it. Like people that are just anti-gambling, mm-hmm. if it's everywhere, uh, if they go to Vegas, maybe they would do it. And then some people are afraid to, I'm sure you see people at the sports book, just not exactly sure what they're doing. They've never been to Vegas, don't know how to place a bet. Uh, I, I think once you figure that out, you'd be more apt to do it in Vegas. So that, that might bring more bets. Right, exactly. I mean, you know, it's similar to, Again, 20, 30 years ago, casinos didn't like to have, you know, how-to books in their bookshops, but then they finally realized that, you know, once they educated people on gambling a little, that would feed the appetite, and everyone all, all of a sudden thought they knew how to beat blackjack or beat poker, and, and, so, <laughs> and so more people tried it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the more people are familiar with it and comfortable with it, the more it's going to increase handle overall. What about there being a team in Las Vegas? How, how does that affect the whole gambling operation? I mean, it really doesn't because the, the sports books. I mean, their number one their number one goal is the integrity of the games and making sure there's no you know fixes or or point point for shenanigans because ultimately they're the ones that are going to get hurt if if there's a fix in. So I mean, they they're monitoring the betting lines for suspicious activity and just having a, a team here. Um, I mean, if, if anything, it's going to make them more diligent. But, uh, again, I mean, for the most part, then they look at it as just another game to book. Well, what specifically do books do to try and combat that? Any sort of uh, point shape? I mean, any, any sort of underhanded stuff? How do they how do they go after those things? Well, like in the, the Arizona State case, uh, back in the, what was it, the mid-80s or 90s? Um, my mind's getting fuzzy now. But... Uh, you know, when it, when a bunch of college kids start showing up at the book and they don't even know the betting numbers or or anything like that, but they're just betting blindly one side, and you know, if you start getting you know lopsided action on you know on a, on a Pac-12 game that would normally maybe only get a hundred thousand dollars in action, but you, all of a sudden you're getting uh, close to seven figures, uh, you kind of figure that uh, someone is out there doing something. <laughs> Dave Tully, one final thing. When uh, the Rams won the Super Bowl here in St. Louis in the 1999 season, a lot of people made their way to Vegas and just put a, a preseason bet down on the Rams, and the odds were astronomical. Philadelphia wasn't as bad last year, but their odds weren't great of winning the Super Bowl. Are are there a lot of people that are going to do well if Philadelphia that made preseason bets if Philly wins on Sunday? Um, they'll, they'll do okay, but I mean, the Eagles weren't that, weren't that high on a long shot. I mean, they're expected. To, I mean, I know a lot of people that were talking about them as a dark horse in the NFC East that couldn't could supplant the uh, the Cowboys. So, I mean, the, the books didn't have anywhere near as high of the odds when you know when the Rams won it. I mean, there was a lot of books that had two hundred to one, and yeah, Trent Green went down and. You know, the books took a few more bets, and they, they weren't worried because, you know, who the heck was Kurt Warner? <laughs> you know, so, so, uh, 
you know, so they, they just, you know, felt, felt they were just taking easy money, you know, just like all those years when they would take uh, Cubs bets uh, year after year after year and uh, never had to worry about uh, paying out. But in, in that case, it, it definitely burned a lot of books. Dave, great stuff. Thank you very much, and enjoy the weekend. All right, great. You guys, too. Take care. That is Dave Tooley of VSIN, the Vegas Sports Information Network, joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's a fun place to be. Like, if uh, unless you're at the game or you just have a party you always go to, if you could be to Vegas uh, for the Super Bowl or for that whole week leading up, man, it's a good time. A lot of people think it's better than being at the game. Well, you don't have to deal with quite as much, right? No. You've got screens everywhere, all the action you can uh, you can want. You, you guys be- want to go to Vegas? I would love to. Let's go. You ever been to Let's a book it. during like a tournament? Yes, it's incredible. I believe it. It's that's, that's probably really that's hard. That's to get way in. better than the Super Bowl. The first day, uh, oh, the yeah. first couple days of the tournament, forget it. Next up, Tom back for day two in his bid to make the four o'clock fight Hall of Fame. That's next on 101 ESPN. Hey, Mead. Yo. What are we fighting over? Well, uh, we've got a returning winner, by the way. Tom is back for day two, so this prize is available on our online stream at 101sports.com. It's a pair of tickets to see Journey and Def Leppard at Bush Stadium on August 24th. Baby. Tickets are on sale tomorrow at 10 a.m. You can get yours on 101sports.com. Very nice. All right, let's bring back in Tom, who is going to Def Leppard for beating Randy yesterday. Tom, how you doing, man? I'm great, Brad. How are you? I am doing well here, and uh, believe it or not, Randy wasn't happy that you beat him yesterday. And if you can make him unhappy again, look, that's uh, that's better for Ronj and I because uh, oh. Randy starts getting a little uh, little angry. Yeah, and it makes for good radio. So if you could help us out, that'd be great. I'll give it a shot. All right, here we go. Question number one, Tom: Which team did LeBron beat for his first NBA title? Was it the Thunder, the Spurs, or the Lakers? Um, the Lakers. Question number two, who is the Bruins all-time points leader with 1,506 points? Is it Bobby Orr, Phil Esposito, <laughs> or is it Ray Bork, or as uh, Meat might say, Borkway? Um, I'll go with Ray Bork. Question number three, the last and I believe only Super Bowl played in Minnesota until this season was in 1992. That's the 91 season. Which team beat the Bills in that Super Bowl? Was it the Cowboys, the Redskins, or the Giants? I think it was the Redskins. And question number four, who is the only current NFL player with 10 rushing touchdowns in the playoffs? Is it Marshawn Lynch? Le'Veon Bell or LeGarrette Blunt? Could you repeat those choices again? Marshawn Lynch, Le'Veon Bell, LeGarrette Blunt. Uh, let's go with LeGarrette Blunt. All right, let's bring in Randy. Tom, how are you feeling today? Uh, okay. All right, Tom's feeling okay. What was yesterday? What were you yesterday, Tom? Do you remember? Same. Uh, I think about the same. I think okay. he. I think he felt pretty good yesterday. That's good. Yeah. So I mean, things are going well. Yeah. I Randy, think he's had a uh, really nice run. Randy rolls in though, and, uh-huh. and you on days like this, watch out. Randy is wearing a, a very nice sports coat. He looks like he's ready for business, and business is here. It's the four o'clock fight. Randy, uh, say hi to Tom. Tom, how you doing? 
Good, Randy. How are you? Everything's great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Randy, we do radio, you know. You're all snazzy today. I'm going to the uh, St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame induction ceremony in Illinois, O'Fallon, Illinois. Come tonight. to my hood. Yeah. Perfect. You're going to be right down the street from me then. Former Cardinal Ken Oberkfell to be inducted, uh, be along good. with uh, Joe Wiley, former Billiken, and many others. Should be fun. Right. It'd be a lot of fun. I would yeah. like to quickly point out yeah. that everybody in the room, except for Ryder and me, is either wearing a tie or a jacket. Yeah. I got a tie. And in, haven't put it on yet. Yeah. See, everybody brought it a tie It was just more today. fun to make fun of Randy for looking all good for the radio. You had something to do today. Uh, Meat Meat had something to do. I listened to Meat on the radio today. Oh, yeah, I heard he was good. Yeah, he was great. Writer, was good writer, isn't it nice to know that nobody really needs you? That's not true. Yeah, nobody needs me. Nobody yeah, needs you. This is great. That's not true. Guy. We need Ryder. Uh, all right, here we go, Randy. Question number one. Mm. Which team did LeBron beat for his first NBA title? Um, but, uh, they lost to Dallas. And then they came back, and I think they beat OKC. Question two, uh, who is the Bruins' all-time points leader with 1,506 points? Uh, Ray Bork. Question number three, the last Super Bowl played in Minnesota was in 1992, the 91 season. Which team beat the Bills in that Super Bowl? Um. It's pretty interesting. I sat next to Jim Otis at that Super Bowl at the. Uh, that guy is uh, great, by the way. He, was, he led the league in rushing in 1975. Good guy. And uh, the Redskins won. What was it? 26 to something. I don't know. I think Mark Rippon was the MVP. Uh, the Washington Redskins. Question number four: Who is the only current NFL player with ten rushing touchdowns in the playoffs? Hmm. Ten rushing touchdowns in the playoffs. Ten. I'll do the uh, the lifeline here. You've got Marshawn Lynch, Le'Veon Bell, Legarrette Blunt. Ah, Legarrette Blunt has had a couple of six or a couple of three touchdown games for six. Then he had a seventh this postseason. But Marshawn has a lot of playoff touchdowns too. So I think it's I'm going to go with the coin flip between those two. Do you have a real coin this time? Because that was actually fairly entertaining got the last coin. time you did it. I, I will do it. All right. Okay, so uh, heads will be LeGarrette, tails will be Marshawn. Okay? Try not to lose the coin this time. You got it. Uh-oh. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> Marshawn. All right, we've got a winner. Randy, quit leaving it up to chance. It was the only one you you missed. Oh, you literally, yeah. literally lost on a coin flip. Yeah, you, you know, it happened. It happened. It did happen. Uh, it is the Thunder that. Oh, by the way, you guys tied three to three. Okay. So, uh, it is the Thunder that LeBron beat for his first NBA title in the 11-12 season. Ray Borg is the Bruins' all-time points leader, 1,506 of them. Uh, the last Super Bowl played in Minnesota, the Redskins defeated the Bills, and it is LeGarrett Blunt. He's the uh, current NFL player with 10 rushing touchdowns in the playoffs. Uh, Tom, congrats, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow with a chance to go into the Hall of Fame. All right, sweet.
Good job. Hey, is the Hall of Fame a real thing? I don't know. I don't think it was going on for the last six months or so. That happens. It's probably back, though. It might be. Uh, we had a uh, a guy that was kind of like our promotions guy, except he really wasn't. Uh-huh. He had the title, but he didn't really work hard at it. Well, and so he wasn't, um, he wasn't putting people into the Hall of Fame when they were... Did you, pay him, did you pay him off to not put anybody into the Hall of Fame? I didn't have fame? to. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of worked out well for yeah. you. There's probably somebody listening right now say, I beat Randy. I'm in the Hall of Fame. I got no proof. Tell the truth. <laughs> yeah. It's 427. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up, imagine receiving texts from your friends asking why you were fired before you even knew you were. That's kind of what happened to Blake Griffin. That's next in the fast lane on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we want to hear from you. Who are you voting for for the Cardinals Hall of Fame this year? Eight nominees, Ray Langford, Vince Coleman, John Tudor, Lee Smith, Keith Hernandez, Jason Isringhausen, and Scott Rowland. That's only seven, actually. Which two are you voting for? And even if it's something as simple as, hey, Ray Langford was my favorite player when I was a kid. That's why I'm voting for him. It's crazy hard, seriously, to pick two out of that group. Oh, man. John Tudor, leading uh, winning percentage among... Left-handed pitchers in Cardinal history. What was that year that he started? Was it 0-7? 0-7, and, and finished 21-8. That's crazy. Yep. Vince Coleman, more than 700 stolen bases. Uh, you've got Lee, Lee Smith. 160 saves in his four years, yep. right? Keith Hernandez, won a world championship, won an MVP. He was great. Izzy, all-time saves leader. Roland, we know Roland. So I still yeah. think Roland will be in the Hall of Fame. So send us a Eventually, yes. voicemail with the mic drop feature on your 101 Sports app with your iPhone. Or if you have an Android like me, call and leave a voicemail at 314-656-6101. Remember a couple of years ago when Alan Craig got traded along with Joe Kelly to Boston in exchange for John Lackey and how upset the players were that they learned that they had been traded via social media. And what happens is agents know about trades and they communicate with people in the, the news industry. And so many times the player finds out about a trade after the uh, after Twitter knows. Yeah, after but the even rest if your agent, uh, if your agent knows about it, he should tell you first. He should, like, but it might be the, be the other thing. agent. Some, sometimes it's the other agent. You yeah, know. that's it. It's just a bad way to learn because even if you're in a position where you've heard your name rumored about it and just know you might be a part of a trade, like it's going to happen at some point, or maybe it just comes out of left field and you're the guy, you want to hear it from your organization. You want to hear right. it. You want to have, sit down in a meeting and be like, hey, this is what we're thinking, as opposed to turning on your phone and be like, oh, crap, I'm blowing up. What yeah. is this? You've been traded. What do you mean? It's just a bad way to do it. And I get it. We're in the information age where everybody wants to get it out. Everybody wants to be first first reported by. How, how much do you hear that uh, right around the trade right. deadline? First reported by Ken Rosenthal or whoever the heck it was. That's great and all, but it's not great for the players that are involved in this. It's not great for their families to hear hear about these rumors. It's not great to get a phone call from your wife and say, did you get traded? I'm like, no. What do you mean? I'm on my way to the ballpark. Oh, crap. Maybe I maybe did. I did, yeah. And this comes up because Blake Griffin was traded and found out about it on Twitter. Isn't that a great way to learn? And no, he's a it's superstar. Probably not. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the thing is that you've been with an organization your entire time since you got out of college. You would think they'd have the courtesy. It's about the courtesy. And first of all, it's not the fault of the reporter. The reporter is doing his or her job. If they break something and they find out a deal's been made... That's what their job is to do is mm-hmm. is report that stuff before the team does it if they can find those things out. So 
it's really incumbent upon the team to do the best it possibly can to not leak things. And that's why you see a lot of front offices are they have a very small circle of people in the know. I think it used to be a lot greater where sometimes rumors would spread within the organization and get down to lower level people. That does not happen anymore. And a lot of times, even like media relations people don't know something's happening. Right. And, th- and those are the people who are, are tasked with sending out the press release. They may not know what's happening until it's actually happened because they don't want leaks out there. We interviewed the former Dodgers GM, Ned Coletti, a couple of weeks ago. And one of the notes in his book is he made a big trade and was walking down the hall to tell his PR people. And from the time he closed the deal in his office and got to the PR office, the trade was already out on Twitter. That is crazy. That, that'll anger you, too, because yeah. you wonder, uh, everybody, I'm sure you, within an organization, you always want to believe that you run like a really tight ship. And then whoever you do business with, you want to believe that they run a tight ship. Also, you always want to find out where your leaks are, mm-hmm. like who's telling who, who is this uh, th- this uh, informant from a team that never has a name but always has real information. Like that could drive you mad as a front office executive, like finding out which one of your guys that you're in meetings with daily might end up being a, a source for somebody else. Right. Uh, that could get frustrating. Usually if a leak happens from the organization itself, it's – and we talked to Coletti about this and, and asked him that question, how many times – did you use the media to maybe drive up the price on somebody else or to just you, you float something out there? You tell one of your reporters, hey, put it out there that um, this team is considering or we are considering so and so. And he said, yeah, you know, that, that's something we do. But very rarely does a deal happen. He goes to a, a member of the media and tells him first, oh, by the way, we're making this right. trade. I haven't called the player yet to let him know, but a deal's been made. Right. That never happens. And because of the the nature of sports now, like with a Blake Griffin trade, you, you have to – I think management people feel it incumbent upon them to tell the agent first, look, here's what's going on with your player. Do you want to tell the player or should I? It's that kind of thing because agents have so much power within the industry. Well, they're, they're also the ones that they're doing all the negotiating anyhow, right? A lot of times if there's anything if, – if it's contract – most of the time, it's not the player and the GM working something out. It is the agent and the mm-hmm. GM. So that's your conduit. That's your go-to guy. Uh, but you would think that the first call right off the bat is just right to your player. And, hey, here's what's yeah. going on uh, as opposed to Twitter or whatever else. But uh, who knows? Maybe it's a lucrative business, being able to leak some uh, leak some information here here and there. I just feel bad for guys when that happens, when you find out like that. Uh, like, like it was Fuller who, who mm-hmm. said, hey, I'm fine on Twitter. And then he wasn't fine. Oh, wait, he ended up being the other piece of that. <laughs> that trade it, it seems like a little thing for us right we just uh, we report hey this trade happened this is it no big deal whatever life goes on well life totally changes for these guys that get traded you have families you have, you have a wife you have kids you have uh, have to figure out where to live uh, and none of that changes whether you find that information out 10 minutes later or not but at least it feels like we've had a conversation about something and by the way we I don't want to blame agents because you mentioned organizations. There are probably a half dozen people. An agent kind of has a, a posse, for lack of a better term, but he's got three, four, five, six people that he's working with and bouncing ideas off of them. Scouts have great, many times have great relationships with agents. So you've got probably a dozen people and uh, two teams with the general manager and the people around them. You've got owners, especially for big money trades like this that need to be notified. You've got agents. So by the time a player finds out, 
even if everything is under wraps and Twitter doesn't find out about it, there's probably 20 people that know before the player even does if everything goes right and, and the media doesn't find out about yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. And, and it's probably a really weird thing just for a player to hear your name thrown around quite a bit. You're in every rumor because there's no escaping it nowadays. Like even if on, on Twitter rumors are out there uh, and, you know, whoever it is doesn't tag a player to most of your players have Twitter accounts. Mm-hmm. Somebody will, some random fan. Is that like you just can't escape it? Uh, it would be nice as a fan to, or as a player, I'm sure nowadays, to be able to have that interaction with the fan base because that's part of it. Like that's fun. Mm-hmm. It's building your brand and it's getting a chance to ingrain yourself with your fan base. But it also could probably be maddening at times because it's uh, you need to disconnect sometimes. Yep. Like you need to be able to get away. You need to be able to get away from the negativity. And guess mm-hmm. what? If you are on social media, there is plenty of negative. I'd say there's most. Yep. It's all negative. <laughs> And here's an interesting philosophy that we get from the 618. These are multimillionaires. They can deal with it. The public doesn't care. Many times they're multimillionaires that have families and that your, have Your money doesn't wives. change what no, you are as a person. Right. Right. So if you have an eighth grader and that eighth grader finds out on Twitter that daddy is getting traded from the Clippers to the Pistons, it doesn't matter how much money you make. And your eighth graders in school has friends, and then you have mm-hmm. to uproot your family. And I'm sure we have a lot of military listening, but we do uh, the done shows over at Scott Air Force Base. That's kind of like their life. My son, we live in that area. My son has had a bunch of friends already that he's made that are already gone. Like, that's part of the life, and you understand mm-hmm. it when you sign up and you get into it. It doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't matter how much money you make. I can see, though, from the average person's perspective, from a fan's perspective, why they wouldn't care. I mean, it, because... In their own lives, they see they may not be as well compensated, and they figure, okay, that's that's the job that you signed up for. You are being really well compensated, a lot of times in the seven or eight figures, and this is part of the job you've chosen, so I can't really feel sorry for you. If this is the worst possible thing that happens to you in your life that you find out somewhere else that you wish you hadn't found out from, that you've been traded— I, I don't care about that. I, I can well, see why a person would say that. Well, I can that. see that, too. But just think about your job and then finding out from your phone that you've been fired before you get into your, to your boss's office. Like there, That's got to be a bad feeling, right? It is. At least hear from the man. <laughs> right? It sucks. This this very thing happened in, uh, in Chicago. Uh, WGN had started a sports station, and it lasted, I think, about a year, maybe a year and a half. There were guys on the air in the afternoon and while they were in commercial break, reading Twitter, found out the station was closing. I remember hearing about that. And, that was no, and it was good. on Deadspin. Everybody covered it. Nobody told them. And they come back from break, and one of the guys, Ben Finfer, who's a, a friend of mine, says, uh, yeah, uh, so we were just here in the break looking at Twitter, and apparently our station is closing, and nobody decided to tell us. Wow. Not one person told us. That's pretty rotten. How did that, that you've feel? lost your How job. How did that feel? Yeah, I mean, you, you lost great. your job. That that sucks. Yeah, it does. You're out of a gig. You're out of money. and Well, I don't know if you're out of money, but you're not getting paid anymore, yeah. and nobody had the the idea to let you know, hey, man, you might want to start preparing because things are, are not looking good here. That's awful. That is a really bad way to do business. It's the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. Next up in uh, uh, with our mic drop here on 101 ESPN, we want to hear from you. Seven 
possibilities for you to vote for, and you can only vote for two for the Cardinals Hall of Fame, and the induction ceremony will take place in August. So are you voting for Scott Rowland, Jason Isringhausen, Keith Hernandez, Lee Smith, John Tudor, Vince Coleman, or Ray Langford? You get to vote for two. We want to hear from you via the mic drop feature on the 101 Sports app or by calling us 314-656-6101. We'll hear from you next in the Fast Lane. Well, the Cardinals released their list of candidates for their 2018 Hall of Fame induction, and only two modern-era players will be voted in. Among them, Ray Langford, Vince Coleman, John Tudor, Lee Smith, Keith Hernandez, Jason Isringhausen, and Scott Rowland. I am uh, honored to be on the Red Ribbon Committee that selects these candidates, uh, and it's a committee that includes Bernie and Jen Langosh from our station, Frank Cusimano, Marty Kilcoin. Derek Gould, there are a lot of people on it, but uh, we got together last month and turned in our votes, and I really, I look at this group, and I don't see how we could go wrong with any of the players. If you vote for two and two make it, uh, I I think it would be awesome. If it were me, Keith Hernandez winning an MVP and to me being the glue guy for a world championship team and the first world championship team in uh, in 14 years for the Cardinals between 68 and 82, I think I would vote for Keith. And by the way, as a member of the Cardinals, he also revolutionized the f- way first base is played. So I would go with him. And I think I, I know that a lot of people are going to vote for Ray and would probably, he'll probably get in. But... The career that John Tudor had with the Cardinals was extraordinary, and I would probably go with Tudor as well. You can't go wrong. I was wondering how you guys got it down to seven because that, that's that got to be one it's, of the yeah, hardest. The, the top seven uh, vote-getters. Golly, that, yeah, that yeah. had to be really tough, and I'm sure it was uh, some close calls there. Uh, for me, uh, and Ray Langford has gained a lot of traction yep. here recently, and rightfully so. He had, he had an incredible career. Uh, my one for sure that I would vote for, voted for him last year, I'm going Cardinals all-time saves leader. I'm, I'm putting Izzy in. I, mm-hmm. I feel like uh, he, he deserves to be there. Uh, and while I can make a case for everybody else on this ballot, uh, nobody else helped me with my ERA <laughs> like Scott Rowland did. So I'm, I'm going to go that way, too. I still believe that in a couple of years, Scott Rowland will get that traction behind him. He only got 10% of the vote this year uh, for the Hall of Fame. But I believe mm-hmm. he is a Cooperstown Hall of Famer and will be a, a St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Famer. Those are my two votes. Yeah, Scott Rowland is, is my number one in this instance because he was so good, because I do think eventually he's going to make it into the Hall of Fame. And by default, if you're in the actual baseball Hall of Fame, you belong in the Hall of Fame of the team that you played. And you a, a automatically go in. Yeah, so and you, you've got to be in there. And then Ray Lankford, that's the guy, Randy, that you mentioned. That dude was part of a really good outfield for a few years. Mm-hmm. That The Cardinals put together right there in the mid to late 90s. They had some good ones out there, and he was a huge part of it. And I think he's dramatically underrated. We want to hear from you, and here's our first one. Scott Rowland, because he's the best third baseman to ever play for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was amazing. And Vince Coleman, because he was also amazing, and he made the game fun, and he made it just so much fun. So Roland and Coleman for me. Both great calls. And Vince was the spark plug of 
the teams that went to the World Series in 85 and 87. I really don't think that they are World Series teams if Vince Coleman isn't at the top of the lineup. Well, and you wonder what they, if there would be another one if, in fact, Vince Coleman didn't get rolled up on by a tarp. You know, it yeah. kind of changed everything. Uh, he is absolutely Hall of Famer. Can you imagine 110 stolen bases right now? They like, Look at oh, the, yeah. the landscape. Just look at the Cardinals. Like, it, it was crazy to see them run that as much as they done. did last year. Yeah. Uh, to, to have a guy do that, I mean, that had to be electric to watch that night in and night out. Yeah, was that awesome. was a lot of fun, man. Those teams were, those 80s teams, of course, and, and I got to be really lucky growing up at the time when 1985 and 87 and those teams were happening, and I barely remember 82. I know there's a World Series. I was a little too young to remember details of it. But to be a kid in this city around that time, that was really a great time to, yeah. to be, be a baseball fan. Led the league in stolen bases every year as a Cardinal. Yeah. That's and pretty good. Would have continued to do so had he stayed with the Cardinals. Here's our next one. I'm going to have to go with Keith Hernandez and Ray Langford. I was 10 years old in 1982. Keith Hernandez just made my whole life back then. And Ray Langford, you cannot vote, not vote. For a guy that's hit the most home runs at Bush Stadium, too. And analytically really stacks up, not just with the players of his era, but with the greats of Cardinal history. Well, He's uh, 17th in wins above replacement in Cardinals mm, history. I know you guys Got love that number. Mm-hmm. What is that? Uh, 17th, wins above replacement in Cardinals history. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, we, we made a huge uh, to-do, and rightfully so, about Tommy Pham's last year, like the 2020 guy. Uh, Ray Langford did that five, five times. times. Like, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Only player in Cardinals history with at least 200 home runs and 200 steals. As we know, he hit more home runs in Bush Stadium, too, than any other player. He hit 123 there. And he was an all-star in 97 and is in the all-time top 10 in runs, total bases, doubles, RBIs, walks, and game-winning RBIs. We've got a log jam already on the Cardinals Hall of Fame ballot. We sure do. Can't get all these people in yet. Here's the next. I'm voting for Ray Langford and Scott Rowland. First of all, Ray Langford was a Cardinal for 13 years, has the most home runs in Bush Stadium, too, and the guy really knew how to slide. And voting for Scott Rowland because his credentials clearly speak for themselves. Ray uh, Ray had tenure. Actually, had 13 years. 13 13 years, yeah. yeah. Uh, he might be talking about the uh, bowling over of Darren Dalton in 1993. Uh, when he probably gave Dalton a concussion. Probably. That, that was some slide. Probably. Okay, he did. He almost uh, killed Darren Dalton. Yeah. Uh, Jerry was a running back in high school. He was, he yeah, was he a what he was football doing. player, and he was put together like He is And he was in an outfield with another like football, football player. player in Brian yeah, BJ, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. By, by the way, I was just playing baseball with both of them this past week, and they can both play. Like, Ray is still scary when he comes up to bat. Everybody's moving back. No doubt about it. Here's another one. If I had to choose two, I'd go with Ray Langford because of the stats he put up during the time where the Cardinals weren't really doing a lot in the playoffs. And also Lee Smith because he's a really good closer and uh, he should probably be talked about even for the Hall of Fame itself. Can you put in Lee Smith to the Cardinals Hall of Fame before you put in Jason Isringhausen? Oh, no. I don't think so either. Uh, 160 saves for Lee Smith with a 2.9 ERA, a 1.15 whip. Yeah, great. he threw a lot more innings than Izzy, but Izzy being the all-time save leader and being a part of World Series teams. And unfortunately for Izzy or uh, Lee Smith, he was here at a time when the, the team wasn't great, but 
do the Cardinals win in 2006 if you don't have the leadership of Jason Isringhausen? I don't think so. And I, don't think so I, I put weight on that. Yeah, I do too. I, I like Leak Smith is going to be a Cardinals Hall of Famer. It's yeah. going to have all these guys are going to be Cardinals Hall of Famers at, at some point. Uh, and not that there should be a log jam early, but if we got two closers and two of the best to ever don the birds on the bat, I've got to put the guy that's led the organization and saves in before the other guy. Randy, you probably know this right now. What is the total of Cardinals Hall of Famers at this moment? At the moment, Cardinal Hall of Famers include Jim Bottomley, Ken Boyer, Sam Braden, Lou Brock. Uh, this is including baseball Hall of Famers. Jack Buck, Gussie Bush, Chris Carpenter, Dizzy Dean, Jim Edmonds, Kurt Flood, Bob Forsh, Frankie Frisch, Gibby, Chick Hafey, Jesse Haynes, Whitey, uh, Rogers Hornsby, George Kissel, Tony LaRussa, Marty Marion, Pepper Martin, Tim McCarver, Willie McGee, McGuire, Medwick, Mize, Moore, Musial, Branch Rickey, uh, Red Shandienst, Mike Shannon, Ted Simmons, Ena Slaughter, Ozzy, Billy Southworth, Bruce Suter, and Joe Torrey. It's like I think 50 it's people. Yeah. I think I got 56. I keep oh rattling God. off the fingers. Yeah. Uh, 56? Probably Is that right? right around there, yeah. Somebody somebody actually count those. Text in 65780. They got enough room down there? Uh, that's a good question. They've in- inducted 37 former Cardinal players, coaches, and executives. Right on. 37. It's going to be fun. This is, it's going to be tight. And this is uh, where it gets fun too because uh, it's fan vote, right? So yeah. who starts lobbying for themselves or, or who, oh, yeah. you know, who nah. gets the fans behind <laughs> them because you easily could do that. One other note about Ray Lankford I believe that part of the reason that until now, not until now, because Langford's had traction publicly over the last couple of years, but when he was a player, he wasn't that highly regarded. And I think there were two things. Number one, he took over for Willie, for Willie McGee. Yep. Willie McGee was traded in 90 and, and Ray came up. And when Ray got here was when the winning stopped. Ray got here when Whitey left. It's not my fault. Right. And the brewery lost interest in winning because Mr. Bush died. And so Ray Langford is one of those players who was kind of in limbo and in terms of winning and in terms fault. of the, the team having no desire to win. Not his fault at all, but I think from a public relations standpoint, people quit going to the games in the mid-90s, and he was the face of a losing franchise at that time. And then Willie came back. Yeah. And everything was okay. Yep. Thank you very much for your mic drops and your phone calls to the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. Next up, have you ever felt like someone in public was looking at your computer screen or reading your texts? Well, they probably were. That's next before Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN.